Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And today we're talking about coronavirus. These are strange times we live in, Sally. They are. I feel like it's some sort of dystopian novel or something. It's crazy. I mean, coronavirus has been in the news here and there since I think probably late December, because as I understand the timeline of this pandemic, it started in Wuhan, uh, in a a province in China or a city in China uh, in mid-December, I think. And uh, it was not really a thing in the consciousness of most Americans until a few weeks ago. And in fact, when we were recording our previous episode two weeks ago, this the, the spot in which we find ourselves now was not even a thought in our minds. The fact that California and Illinois, New York, now as of today, New Jersey, are all in essentially lockdown statuses. And I'm speaking on Saturday afternoon. Who knows what will happen by Monday morning when we release this? I mean, this thing is just progressing so quickly at a crazy rate yeah it just seems like every few days it changes yeah so um wow and thank you for joining us if you are listening to us from the from your homes or wherever you happen to be and uh we wanted to talk a little bit about coronavirus and given the theme of this podcast talk a little bit more about what it means to be human in the midst of something like coronavirus this pandemic that that upends and disrupts many americans lives isolates and isolates for sure yeah i mean how do you how do you continue to have human relationships when we are very isolated from each other? Exactly. So I think maybe the first thing to say, Sally, is I think we need to acknowledge that our plight is slight. Yes. Rel- relative to the people who have lost friends, families, or their own lives in this pandemic, lost wages, lost their livelihood. I mean, the the situation in which we find ourselves, uh, in which our kids are home like they always were, uh, and I'm working from home like I you know, tried to do a lot of the time, uh, you know, we just have more of that kind of concentrated time, isolated time in our house. And that can be challenging at times, but it's nothing like... It's not a drastic change from what we had before. Right. Nothing like um, many, many families and individuals are are feeling across the nation and the world. So our condolences go out to all those people who are facing those things. And in this podcast, when we talk about our own situation, we don't at all mean to draw comparisons between the two. Uh, so I just wanted to say that that we are, we are thinking of you and we are praying for you and uh, we keep all those people who are affected by this pandemic in our prayers. Um, but a couple of things we wanted to talk about today, I think uh, maybe first and foremost, um, talk about what we're doing, Sally, to weather the storm here. Uh, how are we surviving coronavirus? <laughs> yeah, well, as we said, things haven't changed too much, but we have had a little bit, a few more extra hours in the day that we would have spent out of the home um, either at church or the gym or the library, but we've just been trying to grocery shopping. Yeah. We, grocery I mean, shopping. Yeah. As of about a week ago, not even a week ago, we made the decision that we would not take our kids grocery shopping anymore because, uh, not, not even just because of the germ exposure issue, but just because our grocery stores now are crowded places where people, um, kind of I haven't hectic wit- and yeah, anxious. Yeah. I haven't and- witnessed any fights yet. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I'm sure they've happened in our city somewhere and uh, I don't really want our kids to be around that. So yeah. So Zach's been doing our grocery shopping right yeah. when the stores open and we've just been trying to get outside when we can, though we did have a snowstorm recently. So we were experiencing a little bit of cabin fever now. Um, we've also, we decided to put together the girls bunk beds. Built some bunk randomly. beds. Randomly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, trying to find things that hold their attention and, <laughs> and interest for extended periods of time yeah. inside. They still love the bunk beds and it's been, has it been a week yet? I think almost a week or just about a week. Um, 
No, maybe five days. <laughs> it's created it's created new situations though with like Leo trying to get up all the way up to the bunk bed and yeah, it's yeah. it's been it's been a little a little more chaotic as a result, but more fun too. So we built some bunk beds and uh we've been doing a lot of board games or card games with the two oldest. Um that is hard to keep Leo <laughs> out of uh those games as well. Family hide and seek. Yeah, and, and we I think Family we have- walks. Oh, definitely have more time I mean, for that. I think this is a this is a major thing that I think most people realize, right? But just because you are not able to uh, go eat at your favorite restaurants or shop at your favorite stores doesn't mean that you can't go on walks. And and uh, fresh air does a body good, and sunshine does as well. So if backyard you, time. Yeah, if you can do backyard time or just going on a walk around the neighborhood, I highly encourage you to do that because uh, I don't know, I just feel so much better physio- physiologically and psychologically after oh, going yeah. on a walk. It it is so helpful. Yeah, emotionally. Um, we, Zach has been working from home now entirely, or I guess completely. And the unfortunate thing is that his door does not lock. Yeah. Well, so the knob locks, but the door doesn't latch. So, you know, like, I think that, I think I first discovered this when I locked it and shut it. And then one of our children just pushed it open and I was like, well, that does not do. (laughs) And it's really funny because I'll often be on a teleconference of some sort. And then I hear a noise behind me and it is our son who has learned how to open the door, basically thrusts his entire body weight against it. And then he falls inside kind of tumbling on his face. And then just jumps up gleefully. He's yeah. Just so- and he has this like impish smile. He looks at me just like, I got in again. <laughs> I'm here. It also happened frequently that I'll be immersed in a teleconference call uh, and have, you know, my headphones on so I don't hear the door. And then I'll just be looking at my monitor. My back is to the door. And I feel little fingers poke, poking me in the back. <laughs> and then I turn around and there he is. And so he, you know, he comes up on my lap and he likes to sit there and play with highlighters on my desk or whatever. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah. So that's been happening more now that Zach is here exclusively. That's right. But honestly, I mean, I like it that way. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun to have all this time around the family. And although it's a, and it's, it's an adjustment from being outside of the house a lot more in my work it's nice to just be around all the time and it is. even with all the challenges that it comes with. So I really am hopeful that people who have the flexibility, first of all, to work from home and are now working from home are finding joy in that, that, you know, maybe, maybe there are people, I know, I know there are people that I work with who have never been around full time in the home since their kids have been born. And so this is a new experience from that for them and it can be super challenging. And I understand that completely, but I also think it's a really joyous experience despite all the challenges and I hope that that my coworkers who are finding themselves in this situation for the first time are are finding that as well. Yeah, it's nice to have you more in a part of our day, just even for brief moments when you take a break. And it would just be great if we figured out how to close that door. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to figure out something. Uh, maybe just like as simple as a doorstop, just putting a doorstop on this side. Maybe I can yeah. effectively lock it that yeah. way. Yeah, because Leo cannot be contained. <laughs> no, he is. He is quite quite a, a sixteen month old. Yeah, he hit the terrible twos early. Um, okay, Sally. So let's talk about how we can be more human in the midst of this pandemic. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think we can be grateful that we live in this age and not a hundred years ago with the Spanish flu when you, the isolation was more intense. We can FaceTime our family members who we're not with. We can order things online that we couldn't get at the stores, potentially (laughs) some things, I guess. Um, we, uh, we can, stream any music that we want to listen to at any time any um, movies i movies. mean yeah it's... we can get books on our devices um so we can we can now live stream church services and yep. masses which is so there's just there is a lot to be thankful for um 
in in those respects that we have we live in this age of technology. Yeah, I think that is a good reason for a note of optimism. And I've been very critical of technology. I mean, as of you, I guess we both have on this podcast, not categorically, but technology can be used for a lot of bad things. And in the context of being human, technology can can just as often, I think, drive us apart as it can pull us together, maybe even more often. Um, and I, I think that's also borne out in this example. I mean, if you, uh, I'm not going to say that everything on Twitter, for example, is bad, but there are there's a lot of misinformation being spread in and through social mo- social media. And there's a lot of angst and anxiety being created, I think, as well. It's, it's impossible to go onto any social media platform today, this moment, and not have your, your anxiety levels elevated by something you read about coronavirus uh, 2019 or, uh, you know, who, who most recently has died or which country has had a new uh, record number of uh, diagnoses or cases or deaths or whatever. Right. So it still requires some prudence and self-control and awareness of the negative influence that technology can have right but we can we can take heart that it can be used for good as well to draw us closer together when we have to stay inside our homes and not see people yeah and i think there's a couple examples here i mean one is just the successful social media campaigns encouraging people to practice good social distancing wash their hands things like that i think those things have been immensely helpful and have probably saved many lives already and the second is the stuff you already mentioned teleconferencing um, you know, making use of easily available technology to, uh, you know, you can, you can have, you can have game nights now with people in totally different States where you're playing the same game, um, you know, through FaceTime or Skype or whatever, uh, people can work from home now extensively only because of the wonders of technology and zoom teleconferencing or Skype for business or, um, whatever, you know, what have you. So that's pretty cool. And then live streaming church services or masses, like you mentioned, Sally, I mean, these are these are things that really kind of ease the pain of a pandemic For much sure. more than they could and help people not sure. feel isolated. Like, right. I know that we have been pretty socially isolated and I miss my friends as a, as a good extrovert. And I want to be out there and like talking and meeting people and shaking hands and, yeah. and doing things. But I also don't feel I don't feel totally alone. Right. I don't feel totally isolated. Right. And I think in part is because I've been able to text my friends and call my friends. And we and, know that we're all going through this together. Yeah, too. that too. I mean, to varying degrees, obviously, right. as we've already said, but. To, to, to some extent, everybody has been affected by this and we're all experiencing some change and fear and anxiety over it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think there's another reason to be optimistic about what's going on right now. And and when I say this, though, again, I'm not downplaying anything that's happened so far, anything that will happen. I mean, I I grant the absolute tragedy. I think the last number I saw today, 277 dead in America, uh, upwards of 11,000 worldwide who have died from this COVID-19 that's horribly tragic, and even one death is too many. Um, but I do think that that this pandemic could be worse. I say that not as an epidemiologist, of course. I don't have like practical experience in this. But I did just recently watch the movie Contagion, which, by the way, I don't recommend in this I did not watch time. that. <laughs> uh, not a good moment to watch that movie. Um, but I recently watched this, uh, and the virus is um, very, very infectious and very, very fatal. Um, so just to give you an idea, I mean, the, the best estimates of the mortality rate of coronavirus vary between one and three percent uh and there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of ambiguity there so um you know take take everything with a grain of salt and trust experts but in the movie i think it's 15 plus percent i mean it's really really high in comparison um and so and you know most people in the world or at least a lot of people in the world get it so we're talking about you know hundreds of millions dead uh, as opposed to the worst estimates of um, COVID nineteen, which is is a lot, a lot, but but certainly less than that. 
So it, it could be worse. And I say that that's a good thing, not to say, you know, it could always be worse, but to say that, um, this could be practice for yeah, exactly. a worse scenario. Exactly. Because COVID-19 has, I think it's understatement actually to say that COVID-19 has highlighted some woeful deficiencies in our public health infrastructure. And by our, I don't mean America specifically, although certainly including America, I really mean the world. Uh, some countries are very on top of it. I'm thinking of Singapore, uh, Taiwan, South Korea, uh, and to some degree, Japan. Uh, other countries, I'm thinking of Italy, I'm thinking of Spain, I'm thinking of uh, America, not so on top of it. And and this is an opportunity for us to realize how serious and um, quickly, uh, how serious these things can be and how quickly they can develop and be ready for the next one, right? So I'm optimistic that the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic will mean that we will not again be flat-footed without absolutely necessary uh, testing and diagnostic equipment and treatment equipment, like like ventilators, for for instance. Um, again, I'm not trying to downplay the severity of what we have right now, but I'm hopeful that if and when there's an outbreak that's really bad, and it has happened before, bubonic plague, 40% we'll be of prepared. Europe gone, uh, yeah, we'll be more prepared. Uh, and I'm also hopeful that something like this will be the last straw uh, where the world together can collectively say to China, hey, stop having wet markets because this is a recurrent source of really bad viral outbreaks that have killed uh, tens of thousands of people time and time again. Um, and so so I'm hopeful that we'll see good things come out of it in that respect as well to avoid this happening again. And another uh, reason for optimism is that this could be the a time to recover a sense of leisure or leisure. And Nathan Schleter, a professor at Hillsdale College, wrote a great piece that was just released, I guess, this past maybe yesterday or this past week, about the recovery of leisure. And he draws from Joseph Pieper, who we have mentioned on the podcast before, as a, a great source of uh, understanding of what true leisure means. Mm -hmm. It's not inactivity. It's not laziness. It's not vegging out. But um, he, he goes into it at great length and also gives some great tips for people who are now stuck at home because of COVID-19. We'll link that in the show notes, by the way, that article by Professor Slater. Yeah, so he's, he's optimistic that rather than making this a time for despair, we could use it as a time to recover this sense of leisure. And he talks about um, how it could also be a time of strengthening of families. And I think that's something we've talked about um, amongst ourselves, that this could be a time when all this family and togetherness, now that we can't go outside of our homes and we're all stuck to home together from school or work or activities, it could be a time to strengthen our family life. And that could be playing together more or eating together more or reading together more or praying together more. And that's exciting. That's kind of an exciting thought. Um, some people have joked about how we could also have more babies as a result of this time. Um, and, and hopefully that's true. But I, I think if we can come out of this and have stronger families as a result, then that is something to, to be, be thankful for. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, to your point about maybe having more babies, it would be pretty cool if there was a baby boom. Uh, the world always needs more babies. Um, but I've also heard people say that that there will probably be a, a divorce boom because you have couples and families stuck together in close quarters, and maybe they're not used to that. You know, yeah. you, you might have well, one spouse who's on the road for work a lot, another one who is home with the kids a lot, and uh, they're not together a lot, right? Yeah. Or you might have two couples or a couple where both of them are on the road all the time for work, et cetera. Right. And so all of a sudden now you're thrust into this really kind of tense, uh, anxiety filled situation. Yeah. You know, not good things can come of that sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I think I'm a little more optimistic. I, I think I share, um, Schleter's optimism on this. And I think it's good to be aware of that possibility, but we can also 
take heart that there are things we can do. We don't have to feel completely like the rug has been stripped out from underneath us and there, there we have no resources at all. We, it's true we can't do things outside of our home, but Sleater's article offered a great many of tips for things that we can do at home. And maybe if we take, uh, take a more proactive look, a stance at it, then we can, we can um, you know, kind of have a plan of how we're going to use this extra family time. And what were the things specifically that he mentioned in his article? Sally was- He um, said we should pray more. We should play more. We should eat together more. We should uh, read. read more. And we should sing more and love more. <laughs> I think and, all of those things. And sing, I think, would be like generally encompassing just music. Music, right? yeah. yeah. Appreciating music together, playing music together, learning a new instrument because you could learn those things online. Um, all of those things are things we could actually do, again, thanks to technology, inside our own home. I like that. Let's recap one more time. So uh, play, like play games together, board games, mm-hmm. whatever kind of games. Yep. Uh, could pray. be even sports in your backyard or whatever, but just play sure. together. Yeah. Do, do things together. Uh, pray. Pray. Mm-hmm. Read. Read. Uh, sing or make music eat eat right oh yeah food i mean yeah yeah and and so even though you can't go out to a restaurant you can still commune around right the dinner table and maybe people together. aren't used to having as many meals together either and so it's an opportunity to have more conversation over food and um but la- and then lastly he said love, love. which it, which includes all those previous previously mentioned activities <laughs> the all-encompassing category of love right yeah that's good and i i, I really do hope that people are are going to see more of that. I mean, I do think that there is a, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm of two minds. In general, though, I think there's a good pulling together of community despite the social isolation we have. I mean, my interactions with friends and strangers alike since this has basically been pretty crazy stuff, huh? How are you guys faring, you know? Uh, but but comparing notes and, and there is this feeling that we're all in this together. Now, I say I'm of two minds because when I've gone to the grocery store, not always that way and uh sometimes i mean it, it does feel a little bit dystopian like when you're staring at just like empty empty aisles entirely where food is totally gone from the grocery store like i tried to pick up some pasta uh and there was just no pasta basic things yeah. uh you know so and toilet paper obviously has been the, the running joke that toilet paper is is gone um but so some of those interactions have been people like clearly viewing me as like a competitor for the scarce resources other interactions though have been where like I am able to strike up a conversation, you know, keeping my my nice six foot distance, but strike up a conversation with someone, a, a fellow shopper, and uh, you know they let me go in front of them, I let them go in front of me, whatever the case is. But we have a nice exchange, and there is a feeling of reciprocity and mutual understanding that that is pretty remarkable, and and certainly absent from a normal grocery shopping experience. I think. Right. Right. One other thing I want to talk about, though, Sally, is um, and I want to be careful about how I phrase this because I I don't want to I don't want to give offense at all. But I do think there's a worthy conversation that needs to happen. I'm not saying I'm the one to have the conversation or that I have special insight into the answer here. But as I thought about the policy response to this, we now have, again, as of this recording, four states that have basically issued lockdowns and said, if you are not an employee of a of an essential service, that being grocery stores, banks, gas stations, and healthcare, basically, I think of the big four, uh, I might be missing one or two. But if you're not an employee of those, you have to stay home. And the obvious impact of that is lots of lost wages for people who work there, uh, lost uh, lost means for entire families, consequently, um, and a loss of revenue to businesses. And that obviously will have a disproportionate impact on small businesses who don't have big balance sheets at the bank to keep their businesses afloat without month-to-month revenue. Right. So that's really, really sad to me. And I'm 
I'm worried that our policymakers don't really have a good plan, um, and that they're they're kind of doing this knee jerk reaction stuff without an end to what what is next. So what I'm afraid of is having small businesses across the country uh, just basically decimated by this thing, and lots of mom and pop shops go out of business. Uh, and then the companies that can survive, that have the balance sheets to survive, you know, your Amazons and your Walmarts and your Targets, uh, your major chain grocery stores, et cetera, them being just fine because they can tap into their their vast uh, pools of, of cash on hand. Um, so I'm, I'm concerned about that. Now, I, I'm not saying that that there's not some some reaction that's necessary. I mean, you know, if we can save lives, we should. But this reminds me of uh, when I taught ethics to college students. This reminds me of a question that I would pose to them, which which isn't new. This has been been posed by uh, philosophers uh, since time immemorial. But basically, if you could, you know, kill one person to prevent the suffering of the rest of the world forever, would you do it? And you know, on on its face, without talking about the the details and all the consequences, on its face, it's kind of a ridiculous question because that would never happen, right? That's not a realistic scenario at all. But if you extrapolate that and kind of apply the same type of questioning logic to this scenario, if you could save the life of one person from from coronavirus, would you bring the entire world economy to a screeching halt? I think the answer that most people would give you would be no, because there are externalities associated with stopping that world economy, right? There, right. Are, there are going to be people who, who die because they can't afford food, right? There are going to be people who are now living on the streets homeless because they can't make their mortgage because they can't get a job to, to pay it, right? Right. Um, now, so if you change the first part of the question to 10 people or a hundred people or a thousand people, et cetera, like, does that change the answer about bringing the world economy to a screeching halt? And I, I don't, I don't bring this up to say that, you know, there should be no lockdowns or we should just keep on going like we have been going. I'm not an expert. I think generally speaking, the right thing to do is to trust the experts in this situation. That's why we're social distancing. That's why we're washing our hands. That's why we're, we're not gathering in groups of 10 or more because the guidance that we have, the best available information is that that's not the right thing to do. Um, and I understand that. I also understand that that's the guidance from epidemiologists and not economists, right? So I, I, I don't see it happening, which discourages me, but I want to see happening a, a thoughtful dialogue between the best minds in epidemiology and virology and the best minds in uh, economy uh, so, that, so that they can figure out what's the best way to have a flourishing society moving forward, right? We can't shut down all economic activity for the sake of saving one person, I think I think most people would agree with that. Um, you know, we also we also can't can't be can't be uh, not mindful of the lives that we can save, right? Because that uh, that shuts us that shuts down the most the most human side of us that is compassion. So I just bring this up to to, to say that there are trade offs associated with this. I think people need to think about those things. Um, the way it has practical import for us, Sally, I think, is that we need to be conscious of the economic trade off that is being initiated uh, by these um, kind of social uh, social regulations right now. So there are people, uh, mostly in the like hospitality, um, restaurant, entertainment industries, whose livelihoods are really threatened, yeah. uh, or oh, retail as well. Yeah. Um, major industries, huge swaths of our economy, um, and the vast majority of those workers are hourly wage workers, which means they probably don't have really good benefits in place for um, paid leave, um, for, you know, short-term disability, any, any type of thing that would give them sort of a, a safety net in this right. instance. I'm glad the government is talking about uh, bailout relief to give, give these Americans a little bit of cash. But if you think about it, if someone has lost their wages for 
two to three months, you know, a a thousand dollar gift from the government is not going to do a whole lot right. for that, right? So, uh, too little, too late, perhaps. Um, I don't know, uh, but I do think it's important for people like you and me, Sally, who are in much more privileged positions uh, economically speaking, to be mindful of that and then to help support those people where we can. Yeah. Um, and I think that's how we can. I think that's how we can sort of, um, I guess, complete the circle here. Uh, because, you know, I, what I don't want to happen, too, is that I don't want to, at the end of this crisis, for people to say, like, that was that was close, that was scary. It's a good thing the government was there to to help us. I mean, the government has a role to protect its people. Uh, the government has a role to promote public health. But we also have a role to promote um, public health and yeah. to protect and look out for each other uh, and to have compassion on one another. And what I, what I really think would be good is if at the end of this crisis we look back and say, um, you know, I'm glad that our government was there to do the basic functions of government. I'm really glad my neighbor was there to help me when I needed them. Yeah. And um, so as we as we are mindful of these trade-offs, and again, I'm not saying the government's wrong in in making the recommendations it has. Again, I trust epidemiologists when they say what's necessary to reduce deaths. And, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, when the CDC says these are our recommendations and, and this is what you should do, I'm like, okay, good. Like I'll, I'll right. listen to the We just folks. have to be aware of the unwanted side effects. Yeah, the externalities, exactly. And, and then be prepared to try to mitigate some of those for our, our neighbors and friends. Right, right. And, and not it, friends. <laughs> right. I think we need to then, if you find out about people who are struggling to be able to spread the word and let other people know, because sometimes it may not be your immediate neighbors. And if we're staying inside our houses, I think the hard thing is then knowing about those people who are struggling. Right. Yeah, that's very well said. Okay. I think that's all I had on love in the time of Corona, Sally. <laughs> that, by the way, is a reference to the Spanish novel from 1895, Love in the Time of Cholera. Uh, and I think it's, I think that's important to note, maybe just, just as a note to end on, uh, you know, this is not the first pandemic in world history and it likely will not be the last. I, again, I'm optimistic that we'll be more prepared for the next one whenever that comes, uh, whatever it shall be. Um, but this has happened before, uh, humanity has weathered the storm through it. Uh, I think it's important that we maintain perspective and I think it's important that we, and hope and hope for sure. That's my word for this year, Sally. Yeah. This is a great, Wow. I just realized that. I just made that connection. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, yeah, it could strengthen your families yeah. and continue to hope and continue to love the people that you're now living in very close quarters with. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great opportunity for us to step back, reevaluate our lives around us, reevaluate what we most hold dear, and double down on holding those things and those people dear. Um, and and it's it's good. I'm, for one, grateful that I'm not uh, you know, quarantined or isolated away from my family, but I'm with the people that I love the most. Even though you know, it's sometimes challenging and frustrating, uh, it's, it's fundamentally good, and that's where I'd like to be if I have to be stuck anywhere. I think jokingly, but seriously, I said to you today, if there's one person I have to be isolated with, <laughs> I'm glad it's you, Sally. I, I feel the same way. Oh, good. I'm glad. So you're not ready to <laughs> kick me out. Are you sick of me working from home yet? No, I'm not. I'm just sick of Leo escaping and barging, and barging in and then me having to take, extract him. <laughs> well, uh, on the note of um, uh, of looking out for people in need, uh, if you have someone that you know of who uh, is in need, I encourage you to uh, make sure you're reaching out to them and alerting their neighbors around them. Uh, and if you want to send us a note and let us know their name, just just first name, just general terms would be great and and like generally described situation. We'd be happy to uh, pray for them as well. Uh, and you can keep us posted on how else we can help. So send us a note, Zach and Sally, Z-A-C and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. Sally, anything else? 
I don't think so. Okay. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great and a healthy week. You know that.